So the way that this message went is I had a whole message prepared, uh, shared it with the teaching team on Wednesday morning. We meet each Wednesday morning for an hour or so. Um, we come for burritos and donuts, uh, but hypothetically, there's also a, a word there which allows for the tax write-off and everything like that. So, uh, but we, no, we discuss the teaching, and then at Friday at 9:30 p.m., just a couple of nights ago, um, I felt this like inner voice—not like big dramatic—but I felt this inner voice that was like, "That's not the right teaching. Like, I want you to teach something else." And I was like, "I don't have time to." come up with some of the teaching, and so I just decided to stick with the old one anyway. Um, but no, I, I felt the Lord saying, like, there's something else that I want to share with the family at Vintage this morning, and, uh, and so that's what we're going to explore together this morning. And what I felt like he wanted me to share this morning was actually, not surprisingly, what he's been sharing with me. And so at the start of this year, at the start of 2020, I asked God and was journaling and asking him and, and, and praying for a, for a number of days or so for a fresh word. For I, I wanted to hear his voice in a sense in my life. I wanted some clarity. I wanted his voice to, to speak to me, to give me some insight as to what this year holds. And I understand that for some of you, that principle, that concept of seeking God's voice in your life may be a new one, right? It, it's fairly new to me. And I understand that that idea of like, what does it mean to listen to his voice in our, in our lives can be a confusing one, can, can be a frustrating one at times. And I would just encourage you that if you find yourself in a place of frustration and confusion about hearing his voice, I would just encourage you to pause, to take a deep breath and just to keep leaning in. Because what Bill Johnson at Bethel will teach us, which this wisdom is so, so rich, and in fact that I've shared it before, is that so often when we think about listening for God's voice in our life, listening for the voice of the Spirit, we are assuming that we're listening for an, a booming voice from out there. But that is not where the Spirit lives. The Spirit lives in here. And so as we listen for his voice, we're not listening for some booming external voice. We're actually listening for the voice that rises up within us, a voice of truth, a voice of wisdom, a voice of gentleness, a voice of kindness, a voice of clarity, a voice of purpose. Not that voice that goes on, you know, we talk about all those different voices in our head, right? That it's like others have written about that if if the voices in my head were a neighborhood of people, it would not be a neighborhood I'd want to live in or hang out in, right? Not those voices, but the voice of the Spirit that comes up from inside of us. And so I was asking God for His voice for this year. And I don't know about you, but when I ask God for a word for me, I have like, a, a, I have like some goals. Like I have some things that I want to hear, right? How about you? I, I want to hear... Um, like clarity, exact clarity around like action I can take, like mountains I can climb, hypothetically, achievement I can go after, successes I can have. And I want him in a sense to tell me like, you're going to, uh, you're going to have a really great year, you're going to achieve a lot, um, and you're going to look good doing it. And I'm delighted to say that was what he told me. Um, and so I don't know how your year's going to be, but mine's going to be great. Um, that, <laughs> that, that was not what I heard. What, I, what instead I heard, what I felt God whispering to me about, 
was this idea of rest. Do you know that Sabbath, the, the commandment to Sabbath is the most repeated commandment in the scriptures? Right, like God has an obsession, a pursuit of teaching his people, teaching us about the power and the principle of living rested lives. And this message this morning isn't about like how to sleep better, right? It's not about techniques for the last hour of your day so you can sleep better. It's not about how to just like lay on the couch and watch more Netflix. It's not about that. That's sometimes what we associate rest with. We think immediately of laziness. We think of checking out. We think of disconnecting from the things that are hard. But I think what the scriptures teach us is what, it, what does it look like to be a people who live from rest rather than a group of people who are running towards rest? And so rest is a hard thing for me, right? Because I'm an achiever personality. It starts from the very moment I wake up, right? In my house, that means typically being woken up by someone shouting, I need to go poo, right? Which I tell my wife, honey, I don't need to know. Just, that's too much information, okay? I appreciate the sharing. (laughs) I appreciate the sharing. I appreciate the sharing. But no, it's typically, (laughs) it's typically... You guys don't have that in your marriage? No. Um, I ask for prayer for it every single week. I put my hand up. But this waking up, right? So I wake up and I'm immediately trying to achieve. And so I roll over, I grab my phone. And sometimes I accidentally swipe right, which on iPhone opens up the camera app. So you're at this angle at 6.30 in the morning looking at yourself. And it's a scary proposition, right? It has it. It's like, whoa. But I'm, I'm looking and I'm... And, for me, I don't know if it's true you, but before I get into the shower, I'm already feeling the anxiety of what I've got to accomplish. I'm already feeling the things I've got to go after. I'm already feeling like this day starts at zero. It doesn't matter what I achieved yesterday. Today starts at zero and I've got to go make something happen because that's what it means to be a man or a woman in our culture, right? We live in a culture, in a community, in a society of achievement, and so this word to rest was a hard rest, a hard word for me. I might live by that statement, you know, at times like, I'll rest when I'm dead. And the reality is the scientists would teach us that if you don't rest, you will die sooner. So good news, if that's your motto for life, it will come sooner rather than later. That the principle of rest is embedded into who we are as human beings. Do you know we're the only species on the planet who resists rest? You don't see a bear as winter approaches headed towards hibernation and going, you know, I got a few more things I could do. Right? You don't see the leaves in the fall of of deciduous trees, the leaves in the fall saying, no, I'm sticking around. Because if they don't let go, they will never survive. The tree will die. The the rest is required. The letting go is required. And the reality is, as we look at Scripture, again, this is the commandment to rest, to be people of rest, to be people at rest. That we see it from the very beginnings of creation, right? We've shared that before, that when we read the Genesis account of creation, that man and woman are created on day six. And so their first full day on the planet, day seven, is a day of rest. 
See, if that's me, if I'm Adam, and I'm, the, I'm created, and I'm like, whoa, this is crazy, and then I go to sleep that night, I wake up the next day, and I'm like, all right, God, what are we doing today? Because I have some plans. And God says, we're not doing anything today. Today's a rest day, your first full day on the planet, because Adam, you are going to be a man, Eve, you are going to be a woman who doesn't work towards rest, but works from rest. And if I'm Adam, I say, but I haven't accomplished anything yet. And he would say, exactly. Because this story is not about what you can do for me. It is about receiving what I have done for you and am doing for you. And so we will not be a people who go after purchasing rest. We will be a people who receive the rest that he has given us. See, the reality is that in our culture, in our country, like we spend... Speaking, just thinking about sleep, right? The, mo- the most sort of the quintessential rest example, right? We spend in our country four and a half billion dollars on sleeping tablets every year, right? We have in the in America we have nine thousand mattress stores, right? Which may be correlated with the fact we have thirteen thousand Starbucks selling caffeine, but this this reality we have of like of pursuing rest, and yet the reality is that we are the most restless people on the planet. Because our pursuit is achieving more, our pursuit is taking hold of more, and so God's invitation to rest, my response back to it, honestly, when I heard this, this word, when I felt him speaking to me, I said, God, you don't get it. <laughs> you, 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 you don't get the life I have to live to earn the kind of respect that I'm trying to earn, to achieve the kind of success I'm trying to achieve. You do not get it. And so this has been a message that I've been wrestling with for myself and still find myself at the very precipice of beginning to understand what it means to look like a man who lives from rest rather than a man who is always chasing after rest. In Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, Jesus says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That Jesus makes this invitation that we might learn what it means to be at rest in him. That his invitation to us is that we might be men and women who live freely, who live lightly, who are recovering our lives and who are living in the unforced rhythms of grace. And I know for me that the reality is that so much of my life is not spelt not spent living lightly, but is spent living with a heavy burden on my shoulders. That my life is not spent living free, but is spent living enslaved. That my life is not spent being recovered, but is spent being wasted. And that my life is not spent in the unforced rhythms of grace, but is spent in the forced rhythms of competition and achievement and success. And so this invitation 
is to step from a place of being forced to a place of being unforced. You know, God, God is not forcing us. He is inviting us into a season, into a space of unforced rhythms of grace where we might be a people more free, more light, more expansive, more open than we have ever been because we are stepping into the rest that he has always invited us into. We see this reality, right, of a God, God is at rest. He's not like panicking. He's not like waking up in the morning and being like, what do I, oh my gosh, okay. He's not waking up with a surprise email. He's not worried about the fact that somebody's angry at him, though a lot of people are angry at him. He's not anxious about the fact that people are making bad mistakes. He is at rest. We see it when Jesus got baptized. In Luke chapter three, he steps into the waters of baptism and he comes up and the voice comes from heaven over Jesus and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then it says that the spirit descended upon him in the form of what? In the form of a dove. Now, I don't know if we walk around our world, our cities, our communities, living as though we are men and women of whom the spirit is at rest in the form of a dove, right? See, a dove is quite different than a monkey or a parrot or an elephant or a tiger or a snake. See, a lot of us walk around as though that's what's at rest upon us, right? We got like a little parrot repeating everything. My boss is a jerk, my boss is a jerk. We got this, that's how we, we, we live sometime with this activity, right? Or this, this like monkey, imagine if Jesus comes up and like a monkey descends. <laughs> They'd be like, well this is not what I expected but there's something about the descent of a dove that tells us something about how he is at rest. And I wanna just assure you and let you know that God is at rest with you. And the invitation is to be at rest with him and to be at rest with ourselves. And so where I felt God leading me with this word was in in the Old Testament in Exodus and in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, this, this idea is repeated. And the reason I personally felt the word is because in, in the marketplace, I, I've been uh, leading this organization for the last six years. And so January 1 of 2020, I entered this seventh year. And so this is why I felt this word came to me and why I was so resistant to it, right? But I, I believe it has broader application than just being a literal six years to, to one year thing. But here's the, here's the teaching in Exodus 23. It's this word which means, it's this word pronounced shmaita, and it literally means release. It's this thing that God talks about every seven years. He says this in Exodus 23, verse 10 to 11. He says to the people, plant and harvest your crops for six years. Let the land be renewed and lie uncultivated during the seventh year. Let the poor among you harvest whatever grows on its own. Leave the rest for wild animals to eat. The same applies to your vineyards and your olive groves. This principle of God where he says, I am a God who is inviting you, commanding you, speaking to you, that you would be a man, you would be a woman, that we would be a people of rest and renewal and replenishment. Now here's what we learn about in that principle, that what he says to them, he says, the land needs to rest. 
You see, what he doesn't say in that time is, the people need to rest. Because I think if he said the people need to rest, the people, like me, would have responded back and said, God, that is so generous of you, that is so kind, but I'm good, thank you. I don't need the rest. What, what God knows is that if the land rests, then the people rest. And so God is saying that I may not be able to force you into a place of rest or want to force you, but the land is mine, it belongs to me, and I'm telling you, you need to let the land rest. And the reality is in this, in this passage then, they, as a people, they have to learn rest. The, the tools that they're holding on to have to rest. Those have to be laid down too. And so we see this principle, this principle, first of all, that the land, the area where they, for six long years, have been investing their time, their talents, their resources, their faith into this place, into this land, God says, you need to let the land rest. And I don't know what the application looks like for each of us in this place, but I think there's this invitation to look at the places in our life where we have been investing and toiling and we are exhausted. Maybe our career, maybe our family, maybe our relationships, maybe ourselves, our education, our success, our financial success, our failure, whatever that looks like. This place where we have been toiling, our church, this place where we've been toiling, and the invitation is to say, the land belong, God says, the land belongs to me, you need to let my land rest. And the reality is for so many of us, it is so hard to let go of the thing we've been going after for so long because we do not trust him to take care of it for us. That what God is saying is that you need to develop a rhythm of rest that is also about developing a rhythm of faith that is about being the kinds of men, the kinds of women who look at the land you are toiling over and at in seasons where his voice speaks, you say, it is time for me to let this rest. The reality is too then that not only did they let, have to let the land rest, but the tools that they were using for those six years, they also had to lay those down too. They weren't allowed to harvest the stuff that came up with tools. They weren't allowed to do all that stuff. When we think about what these tools were, these, these tools, whether it's a, I don't know tools, but whatever, whatever they're using, what are they? If you use a hammer, what is it? It's an extension and a magnification of your own strength. See, you've got a nail in your wall. You can push it in with your own hand, but you grab a tool, it actually, the physics of it, the way it's built, the way it's shaped, helps magnify your own strength into the job that you're trying to do. And so what God is saying to this people is the things that have been extending your own strength, the things that have been magnifying your own strength, you need to lay those down and you need to tap into my strength. And so whatever it is that you and I feel like we have been holding onto as the things that give us success, as the things that give us security and safety, I think what he's inviting us to do is to lay those things down and take hold of him. That maybe your posture for too long has been holding on to this, a defensiveness, a combativeness. And maybe the situations in your life and mine that we have been toiling over 
And what God is saying is the tools that you have been using for the past season will not serve you well in the future. It's time to lay the tools down. And it's really hard if you're a people like in the the people God was speaking to, if your life and livelihood depends on you farming, it is really hard when he says, I want you to stop being a farmer. I want you to lay down the tools. But the reality is what he speaks about in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus is that they then had to trust the natural growth of the land, and they were able to step into the fields, and they were able to grab food, not with tools, but with their own hands. And the reality of that is it creates a different kind of rhythm. See, if you have all these expensive, fancy tools that you're going into landing, you can go out into a big field and you can get like a whole week or a month's supply of food and then store it all up. But if you're just allowed to use these, it's a day-by-day discipline. That you are waking up in the morning, stepping into the field and trusting God to provide for that day. Not for that week, not for that month, not for that year, but you are developing a discipline of faith where God is teaching his people and teaching us that this relationship, this invitation is not about how hard you can work and is not about how much you can accomplish and how much you can achieve and all of those things and how much you can store up. He says, the things that you are toiling over now, I want to invite you to consider, is it time to let the land rest? Is it time to let the tools that you're holding on to rest? And is it time to step into an unforced rhythm of grace and relationship with him? If you're anything like me, rest is something that is purchased by man, purchased by us. See, I think about rest through the lens of like, I'll do that when I've got enough. I'll do that when I've built enough security for myself, enough success for myself, enough, 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 whatever it may be. But the invitation of rest that he is inviting us into is not a rest purchased by us, but it is actually an inheritance given by him. He already has it. And so for you and I to come to God no longer holding on to these tools, these ways of doing things, these ways of like achieving things, these ways of succeeding at things, whatever, but to come as a people who are open-handed, now we are finally ready to receive from a God who is ready to give and is ready to help us enter into a place of rest, enter to be men and women who live at rest and from rest. Because you and I know If you wake up one morning and you feel at peace, you're like one text message or one email away from being thrown into panic. Is that right for you? That's not a person at rest, okay? And so what would it look like to be the kind of man, the kind of woman who can live and navigate through life and the kind of people who can navigate through life aware that God is at rest in us and we can be at rest in him? To be the kind of people who navigate life and don't depend on our own skill, on our own tools, on our own way of doing things to succeed. But instead, we're prepared to be men and women who live on a daily faith and daily dependence on him. In Psalm 46, the writer, just speaking God's voice to the people, God says, be still and know that I am God. 
That word be still, or those words be still, can also literally be translated, cease striving. And so I don't know about you, but if there are things in your life that you've been striving for, and even good things, it doesn't have to be bad things with striving, sometimes good and noble things. But I feel like God is drawing alongside us, putting his arm around us and saying, how are you doing? And if your answer back to him is, God, I'm exhausted. I've been doing this thing for so long and it is not working the way I thought it was supposed to work. Then his invitation is to say, child, I want to invite you to cease from striving and to be still and know that I am God. There's a, a, I believe it was Dallas Willard who said that love and hurry are incompatible. That if we're trying to be in a love, wholehearted relationship with anyone, including with God, that if we are always hurried, we will never experience love. And so the invitation of this word is to say, I want to develop the kind of rhythm and the kind of pace that aligns with his pace, that aligns with who he is, that aligns with his heart to be at rest. Because when we see Jesus navigating the planet, right, could you imagine having the power to heal everybody and like there's a lot of mess? You'd be waking up in the morning in a total panic, right? You'd be hanging out at the nursing homes trying to make sure nobody dies. You'd be like running over here trying to make sure nobody does anything stupid. You'd be hanging out over here. It'd be this panic thing, but that wasn't him. He was never in a rush. He was always unhurried because he was there to be present. And so this invitation, if, it, if God says, be still and know that I'm God, then it tells me something about stillness and it tells me something about quietness and it tells me something about rest. Let's stand together.